The storyteller for this episode is Dan Kimbrough. Dan is no stranger to the microphone or the world of podcasting. In fact, he's not even a stranger to this podcast. In addition to being the owner of Park Multimedia, Dan serves as the technical director for Scranton Fringe and co-producer of Life and. With almost 20 years of media experience, he has worked with ESPN as a documentary filmmaker, production manager, professor, podcast producer, photographer, editor, and more. I'm thrilled to have him step from behind the scenes to share his story and thoughts on isolation. Over to you, Dan. never guess what my favorite place to be alone is in a crowd of people in an unfamiliar place. Normally I'm a textbook introvert. In most situations I don't want to be in if they're social. I need my downtime. Um, I have to have periods of just myself in silence. And if I don't mentally, I begin to unravel and it's not a pretty thing. I have a circle of friends who I enjoy their time And I can hang out with them whenever they want. But for most uh, situations, social situations drain me. And so I'm not the world's most social or outgoing individual. The twist of that is, though, I enjoy unfamiliarity. and I enjoy being alone in crowds. And so traveling for me is one of the biggest things in the world. Um, I love going to new places, new cities. Didn't just dropping in, going to a local bar where I know no one, striking up a conversation and knowing that I will probably never, ever see these people again and then moving on to somewhere else. I just enjoy it. It's how I like to live. And that level of isolation is what I enjoy. Like most people think of isolation as you literally being alone and no one around and the world is completely deserted. But it's not just that. Sometimes isolation is you being alone wherever you are. And for me, that is something that I've thoroughly enjoyed throughout my life. And so when I travel, even if I'm in large groups, I always take a day or two to just go by myself. One of my favorite times was I was in um, St. Louis for a conference and everyone was looking for some bar to go to, to go watch this hockey game. I don't care about hockey. Um, And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grab a book and I'm going to go down to, I think it's St. Louis Park, um, this humongous park where the, the arch is in the background and you've got the courthouse in the foreground and it's just this lovely park. And it was a nice and sunny day. And I sat and I read for two hours and it was amazing. I was alone, but I was in the city and there are people everywhere talking and having picnics and doing these things. And that to me was enough to recharge my battery. And so when I talk about isolation, And being an introvert, people often get the wrong idea. And so looking at 2020, I went into the pandemic not worried. Social distancing, not having to communicate with people all the time, no longer having to lie about why I'm not coming to the event you invited me to. These were things that I was looking forward to. Um, But as the pandemic stretched on and we realized it was going to be longer and longer, one of the things that started to, you know, itch at me was that I needed to travel. Like I needed to travel. I enjoy it. Um, usually in the spring I go multiple places and I didn't get a chance to. And I decided in the summer that 
I took a weekend and said, I'm going to go. I'll figure it out when I get there. I started the morning in Bloomsburg. And by the afternoon, I was in Syracuse. Then I was in Connecticut. I went all over the place. And so it was amazing. But when I got to these places, like I, when I went to Bloomsburg, I went um, downtown Bloomsburg. It's just, I forgot. They may just be Main Street. I forgot. But the street is usually bustling with individuals walking around. It's a gorgeous day outside. Um, there's a bagel shop that I wanted to go to to get bagels when I started the trip. And I got there and there was no one outside. A couple folks jogging, but it was sort of empty. And it didn't sort of hit me at what this meant, the pandemic sort of meant for the way that I like to travel. But I got my bagels, thought nothing of it, got in the car and headed off to Syracuse. And as I'm driving through northern Pennsylvania and getting into the southern part of New York, towns that I would go into because I tend to not travel on the main roads, as I was traveling through towns, I realized how sort of eerily empty they were. And this is, I think this was June, so still somewhat early on in this never-ending pandemic. And as I sort of went through, I was like, where is everyone? Not realizing that for me, well, you can be outside, so why aren't people at least outside? Well, we're in a pandemic. And so when I get to Syracuse, um, it's later in the evening, and there's this uh, public square in downtown Syracuse that by night is usually filled with folks doing all sort of different things. Um, and it's usually loud and pretty raucous. And that was the same. And so I was like, all right, some things are still somewhat normal. And in the back of my head this entire time, suppressing the notion that it's a pandemic, we should all probably not be doing these things. But this is what I'm used to seeing when I travel. And so I, uh, I get to Syracuse and I drive around for a while. I end up getting something to eat. And I normally sleep in my car whenever I travel because I'm just that cheap. Uh, and so I found a spot to bunker down for the evening. And then the next morning, it's Saturday morning, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go downtown. I'm going to get some pictures of downtown Syracuse, folks milling around, having the morning coffee, street photography that I enjoy doing. And I got downtown and was completely befuddled at how empty it was. The few tables that were actually out the evening before had been pulled away, and they weren't back out. And this was at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, which for most coffee shops is their prime time. There were a few people walking around, there were street cleaners uh, cleaning up from previous night's activities, but there was no one else outside. And it's a bright and gorgeous and sunny day. Um, The sun's hitting the buildings perfectly and it just, it's a beautiful scene. There are just no people. And it really sort of caught me for a loop. And so I was like, all right, well, I got a couple of photos and got in the car and went on my way. And decided I was going to head over uh, to Connecticut um, just to be closer to the ocean and get some water, some photos at the beach. And that would be sort of where I found what I was looking for. And as I was driving, I, again, popping in and out of these small cities, it was really, really dead. In fact, it wasn't June. It was July. It was the weekend of July 4th, now that I remember it. Um, And so, you know, as being July 4th weekend, there was still not a lot of people out doing anything. The roads weren't as bad as they normally are for July 4th weekend. And again, I'm completely baffled that even the idea of being outside in the sun with your mask and being socially distanced, people still weren't outside. And it really sort of threw me again. And so I call up a friend who I know is in Connecticut and we end up socially distancing, catching up. I hadn't seen her in a few years. And then after that, I said, all right, I'm going to head down to New Haven uh, and go down to the coast. If nothing else, I'll go get some shots of 
the sun, you know, it's not sunset time yet, but we get a couple shots of the sun over the water. Uh, there's a nice park down there that I was going to go hang out at. And I get down there and all of a sudden there are people. And the weirdest thing was that I immediately started to feel uncomfortable because there were people, because by this point it had dawned on me that there was a pandemic and that's where all the, why nobody was out, but it was 4th of July weekend. And so People had brought their families out and they were hanging out. Um, for the most part, family groups were socially distanced, but it was this really, really weird thing to be out in public. And again, sort of a tourist stranger, just going about doing my own thing, which I enjoy. And all of a sudden feeling somewhat awkward because the realization that we're in a pandemic is set in. And now I'm around people still socially distanced and, taking, you know, not worrying about, you know, those things, but it gets really, really, really weird. And so it, you know, this idea of isolation altered during the summer for me because it got really, it's just something I had to sort of wrap my head around is that I, A, realized that I enjoy being alone in crowds of people. I had known it before, but I hadn't really sort of accepted it. Um, and that this was what, I was seeking was that I just wanted to be like when I go to New York city, there's nothing for me. I enjoy going to Bryant park, getting a you know, hot dog off the street somewhere and just sitting in the park and enjoying people watching those things couldn't happen anymore. But if they were happening, then I felt, and um, I felt um, thrown off by it because of this pandemic. And so isolation was this weird thing in that I enjoy it. It's something that I, 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 I need to survive, but when things were actually isolated, when that there weren't a lot of people around, it felt different. It felt weird. And so, you know, looking at this past year and this idea of isolation, I think one of the things that I've taken from it is that I'm going to do more. I'm going to be better at sort of seeking out where I'm going and sort of how I'm enjoying my alone time in these different places, but also not taking it for granted, which I think I had done before is that I go anywhere and I'll travel anywhere. And I just sort of, I like to exist, but realizing that that was something that was important to me because for most people, there's this laundry list of things that during the pandemic, they, that are, they, don't, they don't have anymore that they're missing and they, that they want back. And for me, I didn't have a laundry list. It was to be able to travel, but then realizing that the way that I travel had actually been impacted because people just weren't out and there was no one to sort of people watch and sort of be around. And so that's my, my story of isolation. Though he may enjoy being a stranger on the road, he's certainly no stranger to this podcast or the one he creates and hosts himself, Systemic, which is a podcast about race in America. I'm elated to chat with the one and only Dan Kimberg. So Dan, <laughs> I am just slightly blown away by the number of similarities that we have. Um, and there's certain things about you that basically I want you to be my spirit animal. So <laughs> I am very, very much considered an extrovert and mm -hmm. I can join groups easily, join conversations easily, but I also very much need my time alone and for instance when i lived in richmond because i knew everyone it seemed like in the fan 
I would get a book and drive to like the West End, the suburbs, basically, and find a restaurant so I could make sure I knew no one and sit there and read a book for That's an hour, point. eat a lovely meal. Yep. <laughs> no, I, I do it all the time. Yeah. So <laughs> I have a lot of respect for that. At what point do you think you realized you were an introvert? Like you actually said to yourself, oh, okay, here's this description that is totally what I am. Um, I think it was probably when I was in grad school, which is funny because I also have a psych degree. Um, and in college, I understood the difference between introversion and extroversion. And if you knew me, and I'm still the same, like I, just like you, I can jump in and out of groups. I'm very personable. Like I've got no problem going out and hanging out and doing things. And so I never thought of the frame as me as an introvert who plays well with intro- extroverts. Right. And I think after, because I would take the, what was that? The Minneapolis, the whatever the personality um, test is. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Myers-Briggs. Yes, Myers-Briggs. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would always be on the fine line when it comes to the introvert extrovert. I'd always be dead center Mm -hmm. or slightly into the introvert. And I'm like, eh, well, not all tests are right. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to Michigan, so just like you said that you would get a book and go clear across town, I would grab my camera and grab a book and I would go to a state park somewhere and they'd be like, oh, where are you going to go? I'm going to go take some photos. I was really just going to be alone in the park and read a book. And I'd snap a few when I came back just to say I took some to cover for the fact that I just didn't want to be around anybody. Um, And I started to realize that the more time I spent alone, the better I was at being in social situations. And that was when I did the deep dive and I was like, oh, like I'm really an an introvert, like really, really one. Yeah. So one thing I also found interesting was the fact that you're so comfortable speaking to strangers. Um, and since you're a psych major, <laughs> I, um, I'd like to dig into that a little bit. I love the idea that you realize you're an introvert who can be an extrovert, but you're more comfortable talking to strangers. Do you think that might be because then you don't maybe have to be as vulnerable or... Are you maybe more vulnerable with strangers than you are with people you knit? Um, so it's weird. So I have, like I said, I have a close knit group of friends and majority of them know everything there is to know about me, good or bad or whatever. And so very vulnerable with them, but with strangers, I'm almost the exact same way. But if you fall outside of that circle and I know you, but like not all that well, I probably won't open up to you. And I don't know. I'm sure that I could go through years of therapy to figure it out, but I've just learned to cope and move on from it. Um, But with strangers, again, I'm probably never going to see these people again. Mm -hmm. And so I have no problem with the, the notion of vulnerability because I'm leaving and you could think I'm crazy. You could think I'm the best person in the world. You could think I need help. I'm never going to see you again. So it doesn't matter. Exactly. I completely get that. Do you think it's easy to make friends now that you recognize all these things about yourself? Or do you feel that you're at a place where you just rather stick with the people you know and strangers? Um, I, I think I make friends pretty easily, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, like that circle is one that takes a while to get into. And so, but when it comes to making friends, and I used to joke that I've got a lot of acquaintances and very few friends. Um, 
And I, I don't like that anymore. I think I do have a lot of friends. I just have a lot, uh, very few close friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I work in fields in which, you know, teamwork has to happen. And so there has to be some give and take where you have to open up some and you have to be able to trust people with the project, if nothing else. Yeah. And so building friendships in that aspect is sort of where I've, I found the sweet ground of we know each other. And if we want to get to know each other even, even better, let's go grab some whiskey and do that. But until then, there's a boundary. Right. So I'm glad you brought up your work because I think it's also very interesting that you're in a field where you're constantly dealing with others, but they're the ones being the speakers and the ones in front of the camera. But then you also have this podcast now. Do you think being behind the microphone, because there isn't a camera, of course, and you can have an intimate conversation with your guests, maybe it's almost like connecting with a stranger. And is that how you want to connect with your audience? Um, I really haven't thought of it in that way. <laughs> um, the podcast really started from a couple of rants that I had over the summer. And so it was more, I just needed to get these things off of my chest. And I do, I have started interviewing people, but even then the one interview that I've done is someone that I knew formally. And so we had a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is very weird for me to be even the, like even this interview, like being the person interviewed mm-hmm. um, or being the person in front of the microphone is something that I'm not really comfortable with. Um, but I also know that the more I do it, I will get to that point. Um, and I taught for 10 years in the first day of every class, I would sweat through my shirts. <laughs> Like, I'm the subject matter expert. I'm the professor. I know these things. I have the degrees. I have awards. And the first day of class with a bunch of freshmen, I am nervous and sweating. Um, And so I've just accepted that that nervousness of being in the spotlight is part of who I am. But I also know that just push through it a little bit and you'll be fine. Have you ever thought about just telling the students you're nervous? Because when I do conferences... I cannot stand microphones, even though I'm sitting in the comfort of my own home with a microphone, it really kind of bothers me. Mm-hmm. So there could be 300 people in the room and I'll still step away from the mic and go, can everyone hear me? Cause if you can, this is how I'm doing this. That's funny. Um, no, you know, usually I do. And because I, I taught at a four year institution, so I had the students long enough by the time that they were in upper level courses, they knew it already. Right. Um, and with the younger students, I would tell them, goes for the record, you're all nervous. You know, this is your first year in school. Go, don't worry. By the end of this class, you'll be laughing at my sweat stain. So <laughs> I'm just as nervous as you are with a bunch of new faces. And so I do let them know that and sort of eases the tension. Yeah. Um, but it just happens like I'm sweating now and no one can see me. <laughs> So when this is all over and you can go somewhere alone, of course, where's the first place you plan to travel alone? Um, I am, depending on how open things really are, um, I love Rhode Island and I don't know why, um, but there's, um, and historically they're terrible and there's all sorts of issues behind them, but there's um, the, a bunch of mansions that are in the Newport area. Love them. And I just, I love going, putting the headphones on and just milling through those mansions and listening to the stories. And just, so again, sort of being alone in this large crowd of people. And so that's probably the first place I'm going. That's awesome. I actually love that area too. Love going to old <laughs> home. So I completely respect that. Thank you, Dan, for sharing your story. Um, I would like to kind of call it, call it compounded introversion because of COVID. Um, <laughs> 
but it was really nice to hear that. Thank you very much. This podcast can only grow with your support. We love bringing these stories to you and will continue to do so as long as we can. If you've enjoyed your time with us, please take a few moments to like, follow, review, and share this podcast wherever you're listening. A few moments of your time can ensure we'll maintain this podcast for yet another season. And on a personal note, I'd like to send a big shout out and thank you to my brother, DJ Williams, for creating the music for this podcast. Until next time, listeners, remember to breathe and make time for stories, yours and others.